0: Oh, it's great to be back. I'm actually like, yeah, it was, it was a kind of a stressful trip this year. Uh, you know, I, I, I want to thank this congregation for letting us do this, and I want to say that we're entering into a season of life where these trips aren't all fun when you go back and see family and with parents getting to certain ages and, and things happening, and then there's other things that were going on. And pretty much it was, I, I did an oil change when I left, and the oil change light came on on the way back. So that's how long we went, and every single place there was yet another thing to do. And I kind of thought, gee, I'm not totally sure if I'm gonna be rested. And I feel really good standing here right now, so praise God. (laughs) And I wanna say thank you for you guys doing this and allowing us to be family and allowing us to do this and, and all that kind of stuff. I wanna thank the staff. We have the most incredible staff I've ever seen in a church. Uh, the way that they just carry everything and carry on without us as if nothing you know if it didn't matter cuz it doesn't and just do a remarkable job so thank you staff uh just incredible and i want to thank the preachers of course that from this body that filled in and i do want to say i'm not going to say more about the preachers in just a second because it turns out their sermons are part of the sermon so i'm going to wait for just a second and do that all right So with that, with the thanks here, I I just wanna do something. I want you to consider what weekend this is. Because even though we don't really get it, this is actually a kind of a big weekend, this one and next one, but this is the one that's the first one. This is the weekend where everybody that lives in the Northwest goes into severe denial It's two weeks before Labor Day. And Labor Day has a sort of a, you know, in the rest of the country, it's not like this. You do know that, right? I mean, a lot of people are from the Northwest and stay here. But if you're not from here, it's not like this around the rest of the country. Labor Day is just, you know, it does set off the new season, but it's okay. But there's a sort of a, you know, that law and order. There's something about Labor Day, right? It's kind of a Cha-tong, oh my God, you know, it's like three more good weekends, and then, you know, we only have two seasons, right? You know, we have three months of glory, and then we have that season whose name shall not be mentioned, <laughs> right? I mean, this is true, okay? And, and so at this moment in time, two weeks before Labor Day, it's time to stick your head in the sand and deny what's coming, Right? <laughs> Because that just lets you, you know it's still coming, it's in your gut, but you're still going to get on the boat or the canoe or the beach or the kike or whatever it is that you do, and you're going to suck every last ounce out of this moment that there can possibly be, right? Well, I, I want to use, and I think the Lord would have me use this, this thing about this particular weekend of being in denial and sort of shift the tone a little bit and say, There's a very serious denial that we are in right now as Christians, American Christians. There's a very serious denial that is going on, and in one sense, so what? You know, tomorrow has plenty of worries of its, or today has plenty of worries of its own. Don't don't freak out. Don't worry about tomorrow. We're not supposed to worry about tomorrow, right? We're supposed to trust God. That was the word this morning, right? That was also. Was, I, I wanted to quit the service right when Ian gave what the Lord told him, right? Because that seemed like that's the best possible word we could have had today, okay? And everybody, oh my gosh, the Badaman family, just wonderful, anyway. But, but the bottom line is, is that the Lord did something to me, and I'm going to invite you into that process, and I just want to say by way of a tease, uh, I didn't realize how important it was that he was saying and important isn't the right word how critical it's critical that we embrace something in our lives even while we continue to enjoy because let's make it clear God wants us to enjoy he's given us good things and he wants us to enjoy them he doesn't want us to be worrywarts and freaking out all the time and you know the sky is falling the sky is falling But there is something else that is critically important that he wants us doing that he's been doing. And I want us to see what that is as he showed it to me. So with that in mind, Greg Thatcher, you are our prayer today. And thank you very much. Okay? And Greg, just, you know, thank you for being a pastor here at this church. We have so many good people here. And Greg, you stand out. Thank you for what you do and how you do it. It's really great to have you back, you and Julie. Thank you. Thank you, Greg. Father, in Jesus' name, we have been born again to a living hope. And, Lord, the only hope we have is you. You are our only hope. God, you didn't call us to philosophy. You didn't call us to a different theme of life or a new leaf. You called us to be born again. And, Lord, I want to thank you that we are born again because of you, because of your blood, and because of that we can see the kingdom of heaven. Lord, open those... uh, those doors up of heaven to us this morning to understand your word through Kurt. And Father for uh, Hilliard and Spokane, we pray for that area and for the churches that are serving there, God that you would give them um, compassion, understanding and wisdom in the days ahead to serve you in Jesus name.: In Jesus name. Amen So again, as I just said, I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm inviting you into process because I want you to get the revelation that I got. And I, I, I think this is the best way to do it. Plus, I always think it's helpful to sort of see how the Lord moves. Because then you go, oh, well, he does that in my life all the time. And then when you hear us talk about God said and so on, you have a better understanding of what that actually means, right? So the point is, is that what happened was on Tuesday morning, I always go out and I pray and and I do it on Monday morning, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. But on Tuesday morning, I was out and I start always with soap. And soap is this Bible reading thing that we do and it's S-O-A-P and S is scripture where you read a section of scripture. O is observation where what you do is you wait for the speed bump in the scripture. When you're reading it, something will pop out. And when it pops out, when it stops you, stop with it and look at it, examine it. What is this? Play with it, pray about it, ask God about it. The cool thing about the Bible, author comes with every copy. So you ask him, what does this mean? Why'd you say it this way? What is going on here? And then at some point in time, if you will do this, you will get a revelation. And I mean, this is every day. You'll get a revelation about something that God is saying. And when you get that revelation, it'll be easy what the application is for A. The application will just pop right out. Oh, I get it. This is what I'm supposed to do. The revelation is sort of the, applic- is the understanding of the application. And then you pray. Seal it, right? And then that takes me into the time when I go and I walk and I talk to God. And that's my beginning. Now, just to show you just real quickly. Okay, I'm kind of, I'm just killing two birds with one stone here just because a lot of people are here that still don't know how easy it is to do a soap. And the thing I want to show you is, is this is a little video here of... Uh, our website. And so it's just lakesam.org, two Ms. There's visitors, there's media. Uh, that seems like it's a little out of focus. Anyway, ministries, events, about, and then give. And that's just what most people would go to. But, and then there's some sliders about like Jubilee or whatever's coming up. So it's easy. That's what most people are coming to it first time. But here's what we want Lake Sam was going to The discipleship essentials resources. And what we have down here are the messages. For discipleship. We have essentials, small groups, serving opportunities, what that's all about, Devo, soap, three folds, outreach, prayer, and then Lake Sam Connect. Now we're going back to soap and we're gonna click on it and then there's Tuesday and on Tuesday this is the soap I was doing so it opens up and I want to say something real quick as this is loading. At one point in time our soaps got too long so that was hard and then we got too short. We have now gone through, thanks to Chantel and others, we've gone through and we've gotten every single part of scripture down to where every section is a really soapable section. So it's really good at this point in time, the best I've ever seen it. But I want you to see on the New Testament, it's a little old, a little new. On the New Testament part, Jesus speaks about the future and then this is the passage that's in my head. So I, I do my soap and I'm gonna read this passage to you. And then, I'm gonna show you what happens next. So here we go. Later, Jesus sat on the Mount of Olives. His disciples came to him privately and said, tell us, when will all this happen? What sign will signal your return in the end of the world? Jesus told them, don't let anyone mislead you, for many will come in my name, claiming I'm the Messiah, they will deceive many. You will hear of wars and threats of wars, but don't panic, always trust God. That was the word that we had today, right? no matter what's happening trust God Get linked up with him get metronome to him get your heart beating with his and you're going to be okay no matter what right that's just the way it is it doesn't mean it won't be hard but you're going to be okay so trust him so there's never a time God did not give us a spirit of fear but of love and of power and of sound mind right we get it and so we can enter into it okay now So you will hear threats and wars, but don't panic. Yes, these things must take place, but the end won't follow immediately, and I am not here telling you. I think God told me the end is gonna be next Friday, okay? So, all right, he's gonna wait until after the service day, and then it's Monday, okay? After the Super Bowl, which the the Broncos may actually get to. Yeah, thank you, that's awesome. Thank you. Um, I don't know how you did that, but nicely done, Adam. Thank you. All right, so nation will go to war against nation, kingdom against kingdom, there will be famines, earthquakes in many parts of the world. Now this is the part, but all this is only the first of the birth pangs with more to come. I really do not believe that the Lord was talking to me about it being the end, but he was talking to me about the fact that there's birth pangs going on and that we're not catching them because we are lobsters in the pot. And what happens with lobsters in the pot is is that god turns it up a couple of degrees in hopes that it will make us uncomfortable and cause us to repent but what ends up actually happening is we get comfortable with it just being hotter right and we think this is the new normal you'll see in a moment it's unbelievable our facility to adapt to things that are were incomprehensible before is complete we are unbelievably adaptable and that's to our harm in this instance. In general it's okay because if it gets really bad it's nice to know that there's still sunshine, right? So but now watch what's said in this passage. So this is the part I'm reading. Now learn a lesson from the fig tree. When its branches bud and its leaves begin to sprout you know that summer is near. In the same way when you see all these things you can know his return is very near right at the door. And again, just because not everybody here knows me well, anybody who's been here for a while knows, I am so sort of um, wary of the person that gins up enthusiasm because they think it's going to be tomorrow. This idea of using the end times to make money. And let me be clear, some people do that, okay? And I think they're well-intentioned, I really do. I just think they're also incredibly deceived, Okay? So I'm not a fan of that. I am against that. And if that's what, if this, you know, if, I, if I'm nervousing you into a kind of commitment, that seems to me directly at odds with what it is the Lord is calling us to in terms of our relationship with him, which is trust and peace. Got it? Okay? So with that, but still there's something else that he does want us to see, which is, look, when you see the leaves, do take account of them. In fact, more than just take account of them. Watch. When the Son of Man returns, it'll be like in Noah's days. Now this is the one in Noah's day. Well, watch. In those days before the flood, the people were enjoying banquets and partings and weddings right at the time that Noah entered his boat. They had no idea what was going to happen. I don't know how much God warned them because it doesn't appear he warned them a ton. I can tell you in the end, he warns us a ton. But even in Noah's day, can we just think that maybe there was like new clouds or something? That there was something that people could have paid attention to, that there was something that if people hadn't pushed God away so violently, remember their heart was filled with violence, if they hadn't pushed God away so hard that they might have actually went, wow, there's a problem here. And do you remember who God is? How far down would he have gotten before he relented on Sodom and the destruction he was bringing? You know, he quit at, what was it, five? Or was it 10? I can't remember right now. But you know, would he have gone to one? It appears, right? So, all right? So people didn't realize what was going to happen until the flood came and swept them all away. And this'll be the way it is when the Son of Man comes. And so he says, so you too must keep watch. You see what he's saying to us? Even when it's August, or even when it's July, and you're not in denial yet. You're just enjoying the sunshine and the lake and the beach and the, and the hike and whatever else you're doing. Even then, he's saying, just keep watch. I'm gonna give you just a little, I just, I just wanna do this, It's a little test. I'm not gonna get any show of hands because I don't wanna embarrass anybody. But, but, but well, I gotta do this part though. How many people have roughly a devotional life? Maybe not every day, but, but pretty much there's a time when you're doing something like a soap and a reading and something like a praying. How many people would say, yeah, I do some sort of devotional, okay? Now, thank you, God, because that's much, much higher than the normal church, because devotionals are hard, which is why I talk about them, what is it, every other Sunday, okay? I'm pretty sure it's actually every Sunday, but I'm just trying to make it look better, okay? Because I do think that it's what it is. I do think the devotionals are what it is. Even this sermon is coming out of a devotional, okay? All of them do. Everything in my life does, everything, okay? So with that in mind, I just want us to ask this question, just just briefly, and that's this. When you go on vacation, quote unquote, you go to the lake, do you do devotions? Now this is where I don't want to see a show of hands. But let's just be honest, how many people do that? Now, if you don't, why? Because, why not? Let me put it this way, if devotions are something that are kind of a little bit of a works thing, a little bit of a religious thing, a little bit of a thing that you check off, and that's what you do, you know, September through June, when it's miserable anyway. (laughs) Do you hear it? Do you see it? Why is not devotional something you get to do on the beach? on the boat, on the hike? Why isn't this like something you just, just, just love doing? I get that there's a lot of people there and you're hanging out for breakfast and all that, but can you, you know, you see what I'm saying? What is devotional to you? Is it that religious obligation? Because if it is, let me say something right now. Please quit doing that, okay? Because that's not what it is. What it is is, it's hanging out with your friends on vacation. Do you remember God is the originator of vacations? It was called the garden. And then he kept it, even in a fallen world, in Sabbaths. And heaven is like one long vacation, okay? So God's into vacations, right? He likes them. He wants you to enjoy them. He wants to enjoy you. And what better time when you're relaxed? And it's not all about, oh my God, what do I have to do today and how many things, when you just get to walk and talk on a beach, I've had the best devotions of my life when I wasn't stressed about work and all the other stuff and I was getting to just enjoy. Remember what he says about Sabbath. It's not a time to do works for God. It's a time to enjoy what he's made, to enter into who he is, to get to know his character, who he really is, right? Okay, so just a thought about this. Keep watch or as I titled the sermon, Get Ready. I I actually would have changed that to Boy Scout Be Prepared. You know, always be prepared. I don't remember anything else about Boy Scouts, literally not one thing, but I do remember Be Prepared. You must be ready all the time for the Son of Man will come when least expected. Okay, so I got it. Now, now Now I want you to see some. So I'm on my walk. I've read this soap. I actually read Luke to see whether or not that's where God would take us. And oh my gosh, what's coming up in Luke is amazing. Like I read it and I went, oh, I really wanna do that. But God said, nope, that's for September. And I said, oh, bummer, but what's for now? And then he started bringing what I just saw to my mind. And then he did something with the four sermons that I'd never saw until right now, or until on Tuesday morning right now. And, And watch what he did over the four sermons. Okay, the first one was Michelle. First time she'd ever preached. Totally awesome. Just crazy about her. But here's what she basically said. She basically did this great illustration at the beginning that just summed the whole thing up so beautifully. She said, First of all, I'm just about to move. Now I'm going to miss some of them because there was a whole long list of woes, right? Woe is me because we're just about to move. And you know how hard it is to move. And by the way, I'm pregnant. And by the way, I'm pregnant with twins which somehow it's one times one equals 100 when you have twins and there's another twin bear saying yes. Okay, so, so she went through this list of things and you know, I'm not sure if I'm gonna be able to keep my job and she's also a student and you know, what's gonna happen with you know, where we are and, and there were all of these things that she went through and I mean by the time you were done, you were really feeling sorry for her. It was. was, I'm like, whoa, you know, wow, you know, I feel really badly for you. And then she said, and this is her disposition, this is her natural bent of things. She said, but wait, just look at it from the other angle. I'm having twins. This is phenomenal. I get that it's going to be hard for a few years, but it's going to be phenomenal. This is two for one. You know, who doesn't want two for one, right? This is going to be amazing. I get to have twins and. Here we are a couple that is living next door renting, but we were able to buy a house in, in within, well, you don't have to buy a ticket to fly in, you know, that you could afford. I mean, this is unbelievable. We're being able to buy a house within driving distance of the church and, and just everything. You know, this is amazing. We get to own a house in this market. That's amazing. There's a lot of people in this room that haven't figured that one out yet, right? Okay, this is a big deal. And then she just went through all of these things and she took everything that she'd wowed, and she showed us the other way of looking at it and it was all a blessing. It was like, thank you, God. This is amazing. And, and I want to say now, I want you to take that. That was a great sermon and I love the, the way that she did it. But I want you to take it and I want you to go, what was God trying to say to us overall? He's trying to say, in context of the verses that we just read, when things are really tough, You can look at them and freak out. You can look at them in despair. You can look at them and think that God has lost it or lost you or something. Or you can see that he's doing something. And in that you can rejoice, even though it's still tough. the, The facts didn't change. Just how you looked at them changed. And it made an enormous difference. So that was sermon number one. Then sermon number two comes, and let me just say, uh, you do understand, I really, really, really pray. I I just want to say something. I get that we had two people that had never preached before, and the first time people preach, it's always, you know, it's hard. It's, you know, let me be clear. Eric's first sermon, you know. But now when Eric preaches, everybody's going, oh, I can't wait for Eric to preach. Now, I had him preach because of the elder thing. And I think he came in here and eldered this church in a way that, that to this moment, makes me verklempt. To this moment, gets my heart. The way that he stepped into the mantle of eldership at this church was unbelievable. And the first thing he did was he told us about stories and the importance of story, and then he asked, what's our story, what's God doing? And from that, the next week, he showed us a word cloud, which is literally where you take how many times a thing was mentioned, and then it makes the word bigger or smaller based on how many times it was mentioned, right? And, and I, I, can I say, uh, tears in my eyes, literally, when he showed this, and family was the biggest word, because it's the most important thing to me as far as what a church should be. I don't have another... Metaphor that is more important. Okay, certainly organization is way down the list. But family, huge. Supportive, real, loving, safe, home. I mean, look at this. Relaxed, non-judgmental, embracing. I, I just, I looked at that and I just went, oh my gosh. And then he did something now, and watch what we're doing, bigger picture here today. He did something, and in that sermon he said, guess what? It's hard to stay together as a family. There's lots of times you want to leave. And when you're in a church family, you can, because you can't leave blood. Well, that's not true because people do it all the time, but you shouldn't. But you shouldn't leave the place that God called you to either, right? And God's called you to something, and it's the friction, as he pointed out, that actually causes the growth. And he talked about these nine different dimensions in which you can have friction. And if you'll hang in there and you'll work it, you'll get growth. It'll change you, it'll make you different. So look at the first two sermons. Oops. First two sermons, Michelle, see things in one way, what it takes to truly stay one. Now think about this picture of end times, and all of a sudden what you're seeing is God is saying, when things go bad, I want you to see what I'm doing. Not what you might, but see what I'm doing. And understand how important and critical family is. Real family. Not just a bunch of people that you kind of like and you go to church with, but people that you become bonded with, you become connected with to the point that when things go bad, they can lift your arms. And we can lift each other's arms. Refuge. Safety, right? I mean, this is important in, in this context of if things go bad. And then, Jeff and Melissa, Waiting is a time to transform and equip. Waiting is a time to transform and equip. It was their story about their relationship, and so I didn't know quite what the connection was with the other ones. I felt like it was great content, and I really liked it, and I just love them, and they're so endearing together and fun. But the bottom line is, is, is think about this. when, When you're waiting for the end, when you're mindful of the season, when you're looking for the leaves, when you're working on being prepared, God is transforming you during that period of time. Which begs the question, what happens if God is showing you all sorts of things and you are not engaging the process, but you literally do have your head stuck in the sand in total denial about all the signs? You know what happens? You're Noah or the other people with Noah. You're the kind of people who push away the truth of God to the point that when it comes, and by the way, you can't keep the flood away by denying it, and you can't keep the end away by denying it. All you can do is not be ready for it. So if you're in a period of waiting, active waiting, then he's doing things in you so that when he brings what he's bringing, You can embrace what's happening because he's equipped you because he never fails to tell his people what he's doing and he's always getting us ready so that we survive it not just survive it but thrive in it right so i just have to say you know when i saw that i went thank you god for the last four weeks in a new way because i was already thanking him but I just went, oh my gosh. And then I thought back about, this is, a, this is a theme that God has been laying out, isn't it? Over quite a long period of time. And you look at those sermons and you, you say, anyway, I just, I just see his fingerprint so much in what's happening. It's so evident. It's like a billboard blinking on and off, blindingly so. And it, it beggars the imagination that we somehow miss it. And the way, of course, that we miss it, well, we'll look at it in a second, but let's just say, what were, let's just, there's a lot of things we could look at, but let's just look at three, and as scripture would say, yay four, but let's just look at three things that might be leaves, that might be a sign of the times, that might be telling you, have fun, enjoy, don't freak. But don't just pretend like it isn't ever gonna happen. Let's let's just take this one. Who knows what that graph is? It's pretty simple, because it's (laughs) debt. It's the federal debt. From 1980, look at that. It's just over 2 trillion. Since 1980. That is 36 years ago. 36 years ago. And now this year, at the end of this year, it'll be 20 trillion. Does anybody, has anybody ever had their household debt do that? Because I can tell you what happens right after that. It's bankruptcy. (laughs) Okay, it's unbelievable what's happening with our debt right now. Unbelievable. It is astounding. You cannot go back in history and ever see anything like it before except interestingly in like, say, Rome at the end and a few places like that, that might also be somewhat instructive, but nonetheless, okay? So there's debt, but anyway, here's debt as a percentage of GDP, and GDP is simply all of the goods and services that we produced in a year, right? And we always measure debt against GDP. You know what? It's, you know, that's really stupid, actually. You know why? Because companies don't pay back the debt. Yeah, they do pay taxes, but that's not actually the right measurement. But even then, just take all of the money that America produces, the most prosperous nation in the world by far, although China's catching up rapidly and will pass us in about a year. But the bottom line is, and that's really true, I mean, the graphs are already, you know, anyway. But the point is, is is take all of the goods and services, and here's what I want you to see. If your own household debt, if you made $50,000 a year, and you owed 60% of it, which is, what, give me the $35,000, whatever, okay, if you owed $35,000 and you only made $50,000, would you think that you were in trouble? Would that seem like a bad thing to owe that much debt against that much income? Right? Okay, what about if you owned somewhere between 70 and 90%? You know, like, you know, you owed $45,000 in debt against your $50,000 of income. Does that seem like that might be a problem? I get you don't have to pay it all back in one year. and You can service and so on, but does it seem like maybe that's not good? <laughs> well, just take, check this out. We've crossed in just the last couple of years 100%. We, are now, we now owe more money than the total economy makes. And I, I just, again, I just wanna say something. That's a totally nonsensical measurement. We do it all the time, but it's stupid. And here's why it's stupid, watch gross domestic product is $18 trillion this year. Okay. Total income of the federal government's only $3.3 trillion. So if the debt is $19 trillion, you don't get to service the debt from the $18 trillion that you're making. You service the debt from the $3 trillion that you're making, which means that if you're making $50,000, it's not $50,000 that you owe in relative terms. It's $300,000. You're making 50 and you owe 300. Six times more. Does that seem like a problem? Because that's where we are now. That's not where we're going. That's where we are today. But let's just be clear, this is nothing. This is a drop in the bucket. You know what an unfunded liability is? An unfunded liability is, this is what it is, right? Every month out of your paycheck comes Social Security. They take money out of your check. Now when they first did it, the reason for doing that was well, you know, all these people are getting old and they didn't save and now they're broke and we got to support them, so let's do this. Let's take money from your paycheck, let's put it in a safe place, invest it, let it grow, so that when you get old and, you know, want to retire, we can start giving you that money back so that you have some money and you don't just be poor. That's what it was supposed to be. But you do realize, anytime you've got a big pot of money sitting, where sitting somewhere. What do people do with it? Not just the government, all of us. You got a big pot of money sitting there somewhere. They spent it. So when they take your Social Security your check, it's supposed to be going, if your IRA does this, they put the people that did that in jail (laughs) because they weren't supposed to take your money and do something else with it. (laughs) Right? But they're doing that. Massively doing it. They're doing it. They're doing it so much. And they're spending so much that even with the unfunded liabilities, there's still 20 trillion dollars in actual debt. So they're spending all your social security money plus that much more. (laughs) This is unbelievable. The unfunded liabilities right now, this is the middle estimate. You can get as low as 66 and as high as 200. It depends on how you want to account for it. But you got 127 trillion dollars out there. There's this thing in math, all you math whizzes know this stuff. But there's this thing in math that says when numbers get too large, they don't mean anything anymore. We don't really understand the difference between a billion and a trillion. We really don't. We don't understand how much larger it is. There are these things, you know, where they say, if you spent a million dollars a day since Jesus was born, is it one trillion? I think you can't, I think if you spend a million dollars a day since Jesus was born, I'm going to get this wrong because I I didn't. But anyway, it's something like a trillion dollars, but you certainly don't get anywhere near our debt. Spending a million dollars a day. Okay. For all those years. Anyway, I forget the math on that. But but here's the thing I want to do. Let's try and maybe make it just a little bit more. So the total income of the federal government is 3.3 trillion. And the total obligations of the government is about 150 trillion. Now, this is not happening. This is not going to happen unless we reverse course. This is where we are today. And, and, and thank God all the politicians are working so hard to say, wow, we're really in a hole and we should figure out how to get out of this. Thank God, right? Because there isn't anybody talking about it at all, is there? It's there, but we got our heads in the ground. The temperature got turned up. We were supposed to do something about it, but we decided we were okay with this temperature making it, trying to make it a little bit real. Every America, every person in America, that includes both your twins, so you have $132,000 in your belly, okay? Every person in America owes 66,000, 666,000. That's an interesting number for me to discover when I did it. (laughs) Just saying, (laughs) right, right, but here, Unfunded liabilities, every single person in America is on the hook for $500,000. How are we gonna do, Pam, you and me? Are we gonna be able to pony up our 500 grand? (laughs) Is there anybody here that can cover us? (laughs) Do you see it? Do you think maybe? Right? And by the way, this is just America, because you know, in the world, the debt alone, not the unfunded liabilities, the debt is 200 trillion. And the unfunded liabilities, we don't have any idea, but they're gonna approach quadrillion here pretty soon. And quadrillion is a number that you can't even begin to imagine, what it really is. Okay, it's a 1,000 trillions, which is 1,000 times a 1,000 billions, which is, which is who cares, <laughs> right? which is, oh my God, that's like, at some point in time, we're so far down, there's no light up there anymore, right? That's where we are. So really, the truth is, is it's a Ponzi scheme, right? I mean, as long as more people come in and pay, then we're okay. I love this little illustration, because start with six people, and it only takes 11 levels of the Ponzi scheme to get to more people to support it than the entire population of the US. And it only takes 13 levels to get to more people than are on the face of the earth. So it's a Ponzi scheme, and Ponzi schemes always do what? When there's not enough coming in, and we're right at the place to where it's just impossible to figure out how there's gonna be enough coming in. It's just, you know, you can play with the numbers and fudge and do everything you wanna do, but, it, but it's a, does it seem like a leaf? Does it seem like maybe there's a sign? Does it seem like maybe something might happen in the course of even an old person like me and the rest of my life, does it seem like there may be a point in time at which all of this sort of happens? And when it does, does it feel like it might be like the mortgage crisis where it was kind of like obvious, right? You know, people buying three and four different homes and not needing to even demonstrate that they have a job? Did that seem like a good idea somehow? (laughs) Right? Well, isn't this gonna be the same thing? Aren't we gonna look and we go, geez, how didn't we see that? Is that, potentially, is that maybe a sign? Okay, I'm just gonna do the other ones a little quicker. It, but I do wanna say, you do realize that there's rioting in streets right now around the world because of this stuff. Okay, this happens to just be Venezuela. I could have picked another couple of countries that are doing it. But these are demonstrations, because they have no food, and they're going into armed conflict in Venezuela. And this is happening all the time. It's not on the news, it's not anywhere. But this is happening on a regular basis. So, you know, okay. All right, well, anyway, not, not, trying to, not trying to bum out, not trying to harsh your buzz for the end of August. <laughs> right? But, but it's okay to become closer and closer and closer to God, who is our only hope, and who's bigger than any debt collapse and anything that might come out of any debt collapse. Right? Okay, so just a couple more. Our friends, Isis, right? Uh, if anybody's listening to this, I said that sarcastically, okay? <laughs> <laughs> Who, you know, I, could, I, I had a whole bunch of images and I just thought, this is just too grotesque. I just can't do this. I had videos, I had everything else. I'm just showing the carnage and the unbelievable. But there's a reason why I'm going here. So I just wanna see, you, I wanna show you something. This is even before the California attack. So there's been a whole lot of attacks since then. But just look at that. Look at all over the world and in capitals around the world and all over the place, there's attacks by ISIS directly or by ISIS-influenced, all right? So there is all this stuff going on. But here's the reason why I'm bringing this up right now, because I want you to see the lobster pot thing. Tell me, those of you who have been around long enough to know what it was like pre-2011, tell me how many times that you heard on the news some sort of a terrorist attack. How often did that happen? not saying not but it was not much certainly wasn't every week a couple times a year maybe something in Israel yeah whatever there were things but they were pretty isolated they were pretty and now all of a sudden we're getting them every single week I mean you have to understand something 9-11 was a turning point uh I've never seen this video before until I was looking at it last night. I said, I want a new one and look at this. That's the moment. That uh, was the buckle point. And I can't help but note, it, note that there's a collapse that happened here that nobody expected even when they saw the flames coming out. Even when it was that far, nobody thought that that meant the buildings would fall. They just thought it was a bad fire. They could be put out we would rebuild or we would redo, right? Now, even after 9-11, how many years was it that we dealt with frequent terrorist attacks around the world? We actually, there wasn't a ton. It really wasn't until ISIS, and ISIS is how old? Six years? Not even that? Four or five years when they got serious about going global? It's been in the last four years to the point now watch this. Munich happened just a little while ago, the horrible things that happened in Munich. And and this is what now listen to this. This is what the head of their Homeland Security Department said when the Munich attack happened. We can't protect you. Twenty years before that, they didn't need to protect anybody. It just wasn't a factor. And now in the last four years, we're to the point to where the heat has been turned up to where we just take this as a fact of life now. That there's going to be a wedding in Turkey. That there's going to be a this, that there's going to be a shooting, that there's going to be a, right? We just, it's just a fact of life now. And we're all learning how to live with it to the point that this guy could come out and say, I wish I could, I I couldn't find the audio clip. I wish I could find the audio clip. He said it very matter-of-factly. We just can't protect everybody. He didn't say it threateningly, he didn't say it arrogantly, he didn't say it defensively. He's just stated it like everybody gets it. And here's the point, we all do. <laughs> but is it maybe a leaf? Does it feel at all like a sign to anybody else? Does it seem like there's something that's happening here that, you know, if my people will humble themselves and pray in right, I'd smile, I'd heal. Right? But we don't. We lament what happened. But God forbid we repent. We don't even think we need to. Now Christians know that the culture needs to. And I would I, I love Solomon before he prayed when they were dedicating the temple. Because the nature of his prayer started out like this. We, now when he said we, he didn't, it wasn't him. He hadn't done the things that he'd said. People had been doing the things he said, but he identified with everybody and he stood in the gap. God is searching the world over for somebody that will stand in the gap. Is there somebody that will stand in the gap? Is there somebody that will, while they're having a great time and enjoying all the good gifts that God has given for real and lovingly and wonderfully and thankfully, are, are we also carrying this thing that God would have us carry? Of being salt, preserving, standing in the gap, I'm gonna show you one more, and I, I, I do this one very, very carefully uh, because first of all, it, it riles up a whole lot of just derision, and it shouldn't because these are, one of these two people is gonna be the next president, okay? But I, and then there's a lot of people that really like one or two of these candidates, right? And they really think they're good. But I just need to show you something for a reason. Those are, one of those two people is gonna be president. I did pick a bad picture, sorry. Okay. But, but I do want to show you something. Since Gallup has been recording favorability and unfavorability, and that, that goes back, I think, into the 50s. So we're talking roughly 60 years worth of data here. We don't have anybody anywhere near where these two are. We've never had candidates run for office that had lower favorables and higher favorables. Unfavorables, And you could say, oh, well, it's because they pick on each other so much. They haven't even begun to pick on each other. The negative campaigning, honestly, compared to a normal election cycle, has actually been very low so far. Okay? This is not that. The, the truth of the matter is, whether you like them or not, you have to do something and you have to say, both of these people have done things in their lives which have merited a certain amount of judgment, a certain amount of critical... Um, Let me put it this way. Can you imagine another election cycle in the last 60 years, in in our lifetimes? Can you imagine another election cycle where either one of these people would have even won their primaries? Do you see this? Yet alone be elected. It just wouldn't happen. It's just, you can hate Ronald Reagan. You can hate Bill Clinton. But the fact of the matter is, anyway, you get it? Now here's why I bring this up. You do realize that biblically, when a country has pushed God away strongly, one of the things that God does is allow bad leadership. He allows people to have what they want. You do realize that the whole, you know those long books, Chronicles, that nobody wants to read? Chronicles and Kings. You do realize that that's a list of kings. You can almost, you can sum up the whole books by saying this. This is God showing a nation what they get when they act a certain way. And when Israel, who pushed God away from the very beginning, never has one good king the entire time that they're there, and then they cease to exist. And when Judah, who's supposed to be following God in the whole history of all their kings, which go almost 400 years. In 400 years, Judah only has six good kings. This is a sign. (laughs) Biblically, if you're versed in biblical thinking, you look at people rising up that aren't good leaders, that are problematic human beings, and it's a sign of judgment. It's a sign, and not judgment as in everything's going to hell in a handbasket right now, but judgment like we've been talking about. A raising of God's protection to a degree so that we might experience the consequences of our actions. So that we might repent. But here's what we do instead. I'm starting to like the water at 98. It's cooking me. But, you know, 101, I can handle that. So, we've been talking about it for a year and a half. Ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky through everything God made. They can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal powers, divine nature. God has made things clear to us, it's easy. So we have no excuse for not knowing Him. In fact, in our hearts, we really do know Him. But we won't worship Him as God nor even give Him thanks. And when we do that, we begin to think up foolish things of what God is like. And as a result, our minds become dark and confused. You remember when I said three things, yay, four? I just did economy, I just did wars, violence, and I just did politics. That's three fairly large ones. But I said, yay, four. I want to tell you the thing that I'm seeing in the world right now that has me the most concerned. We're becoming unable to connect with each other. As we push him who is truth away, we can't come to agreement. We're different, and we see ourselves as different. The Black Lives Matter, I saw a a documentary that I would highly recommend every single person watches. It's a little bit older. It's phenomenal. It's called Bloods and, Crips and Bloods Made in America. And let me, I'm just gonna give you just a really brief, okay? It points out how after the war with all the industrial effort that came, a lot of blacks had moved from the South over into LA. And it points out how these blacks were being raised up into the industrial class and they were making good money doing the war effort. And then right after that, and I didn't know this, I lived in LA, I didn't know this. But did you know that LA became an automotive capital, right along with Detroit? GM was there, Ford was there, Chrysler was there, and all the ancillary companies, Goodyear, everybody was there, and all of the blacks were getting jobs right with the whites, and there were blacks that were having middle-class family lifestyles now, houses and the whole thing. But then something happened. White people didn't wanna live with black people, and so there's redlining. And you can go in LA and you can see where the redlining was. And black people couldn't live in anywhere except for inside of this box that was drawn out right in the heart of LA, the northern part of which is now called Watts. And then what happened was when the automotive companies left, there was this really dense population of African-American black people in these constrained areas And all of the fathers that were doing middle class lifestyles and raising their kids lost their job and lost their hope. And the kids began to have no futures. And so they turned to ganging up in order to protect themselves from other people that were predators too. They were were clicking into groups, as people will do, for safety and also to get up, also to get something, to take, take what's mine. made in America. It really goes back to redlining. It really goes back to if they had just allowed everybody to integrate, it wouldn't have been these these slums. It wouldn't have been these concentrations of people with no hope. But you see, I'm talking to a mostly white audience right now, and Black Lives Matter talks and for the first time I heard a Black Lives Matter after watching that documentary, I heard a Black Lives Matter guy talk and I went, Oh crap, I know what you're talking about now. I know why you're saying because you talk about systematic racism and you know I get it. I get we all have little things and you know, blah blah blah, but I don't feel racist and I don't and I get that it's not just about me, I get that it's about systems, and I do get, I trust me, I've lived and worked in ghettos long enough to know that if you think that a black kid has the same chance of achieving success as a white kid does, you just don't know what's happening. Okay. It, the, the difference is phenomenal, okay? 53% unemployment in, uh, in young blacks. That doesn't happen in white, okay? But the bottom line is we can't communicate anymore. We have different frames of reference and we're pushing the truth away and we all have our own truths. And they're becoming islands that are like the universe, expanding away from each other. And this all makes perfect sense to me, and I can't understand what you're saying anymore. Confusion. I look at the election right now. I have no idea what I'm gonna do. I I don't know if in good conscience I can vote for somebody that I think is potentially dangerous. I don't know if I can do that. Now, there's lots of people here that say, oh, you're stupid in Supreme Court, and, da, 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 and all kinds of stuff. But there would be people that would be of the Hillary side that would also have and voice reservations. Confusion. I got to tell you, if God is the one that brings us together to be one, makes us family, this leaf, this sign, this is the one that I'm seeing. And I'm going on a debt crisis. I don't know how we're going to get through it, but people will live. People will die too, but people will live. But confusion, fractionalization, I don't know. Makes that family argument kind of important. And it totally proves the scripture out. Because when people will be one like that, the world will see that oneness and then say, how do you do that? (laughs) So the world will know. It's so funny that evangelism is just about being one with each other and God. That's how we get to be one with each other, by the way. Are we there? So here's what I'm saying, this is summing it up. Sin will be rampant everywhere and the love of many will grow cold. God doesn't want your love to grow cold. So when you're on vacation, he wants you to do devotionals. Now that's not at all what I'm talking about, is it? (laughs) Right? Because that would be check the box on that behavior, and then I'm okay again. That's not the point. The point that he's saying is, is, can we be adult enough to where we can actually have a really good time and still hold on to difficulties and things that we need to be praying about? things that we need to be being salt about. Can we do that? Because I think it's easy. And I think he wants us to do it because, look, at here's what he's asking us to do. He's saying, I'm going to comfort you in your trouble. But, you know, when shaking comes, it happens in the church first. Because what God does is people get uncomfortable, temperature goes up, things happen, and people learn how to trust God. And then they get to be at peace with how to trust God, even in the middle of this difficulty. And then when he brings it to the world, what are we? Salt, light, helps, hands, heart, feet, we're Him. We can go and we can say, I know it really sucks for you, but there's hope. (laughs) I know that things are really difficult for you, but God has got you. He's bringing people. He comforts us so that we can comfort others. When they're troubled, we're able to give them the same comfort God gave us. (laughs) Right? Right? Now watch, it became critical that we start seeing this when we realize that the love of many will grow cold and we hope that's not us. But in God's eyes, it became, what's the better word than critical? What's the word? Became, I can't even find the word. What's in God's heart about being able to comfort you in your trouble and learn, teach you how to find hope in the middle of difficulty? To see it the way God sees it, not the way you do. To find community. To grow now, so that you're ready then. (coughs) God loves vacations. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. God loves summer. Coming down from the Father of lights in whom there's no variation of shadow due to change. That's our summer. This is the day the Lord has made. We rejoice and be glad. Right? But he doesn't want it to leave your heart. He wants you to enjoy completely And also, get a hold of this. There was this wonderful comment that Pascal made, and I can't bring it back exactly right, but it goes like this. He said, and I posted it in a C.S. Lewis thing, so many of you already know it. But what he said was, he said, don't try and show me a thing by showing me it's extreme. Show me a thing by showing both as extremes. Because in the two extremes, I actually come to know the thing. So this is the day the Lord has made. This Sunday, the clouds will burn off and it's gonna be gorgeous, I think, right? And go out, go to a beach and have fun, right? But hold on to the other thing. When the cool breezes were blowing, God was walking about in the garden. He digs going to the beach with you. <laughs> but what he's just asking for is, that's us going to the beach. This was actually a couple of years ago. Dave Brunk's the one taking that picture. Love you, Dave. But he just wants us to be ready in season and out. He's giving us the opportunity to see the leaves, to know what's happening, and to, by the Holy Spirit, be led into how to be ready. So that when it happens, it doesn't freak us. Right? In fact, and this is, I just want to show you how much God's in control of these sermons and everything else. Did you remember the verse that they talked about in the, in the thing today? Because it was this verse right here, which is the end of my sermon. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated high in lofty throne. That, that might be the right, wrong pronunciation of that. Anyway, and his robe filled the temple. Seraphim were standing above him, and one called to another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. His glory fills the whole earth. The foundations and the doorways shook at the sound of their voices, and the temple was full of smoke. Now he says, I was terrified. This is a terrifying thing that he sees, right? It is his glory, and our sinfulness in his glory is fatal. So he is terrified. But here's what the the high schoolers, I think it was the high schoolers, was that the one that we're using this Isaiah verse? Here am I, send me. Because this was the end of my sermon, where I felt like the Lord was saying, what he wants to say to us is, he's saying, who shall I send? Who will go for us? He wants us to be the one that says, here am I, send me. Here am I, send me. Can we be that? Can we love every glorious moment of summer until its end and still be being equipped and transformed so that we're ready when the darkness comes? so that we bring light, so that we bring hope. Lord, in Jesus' name, you do the most extraordinary things in the most extraordinary ways. And so in Jesus' most magnificent name, would you please, would you please teach us how to live in both truths at once? The one where it is peace, always peace, enjoying, embracing, Thanking you, getting the most out of the good times, not being a Debbie Downer. But in Jesus' holy and precious name, God, could you at the same time raise us up to be those who will stand in the gap, those who see the seasons, those who see what is happening, and those who are serious, those who have it in their hearts to be able to be light, to be salt. God, in Jesus' name, we pick up this cup.